0: I ask that you turn in your copy of God's Word to Romans chapter 15. I'll be reading Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. Um, while you are turning there, I'd like to just briefly introduce our speaker for today. Uh, he's a guy I know very well. I, I grew up with Paul. We went to the same small Christian school in Menominee Falls for basically our whole time going to school. And when you are in a, a small group that stays together for about 10, 11 years, you get to know one another well. Um, it is my privilege to have him here, and there is a ton of stories I could share, but to be honest with you, you didn't come here this morning to hear me tell, tell stories about my childhood. Uh, you, you came this morning to hear about our great God. So let's, let's read in um, Romans chapter 15, verses 14 through 21, and after that I'll ask Paul to come and, and share what uh, God has laid on his, his heart this morning. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to I him. I practiced that before, and it still did not produce results. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So in the reading of God's word, Paul come.
1: Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. And as you're turning some words of gratitude. It is a honor to be with you here and to be in this pulpit. I have not been here personally at Grace Hill, but I've watched from a distance and have been encouraged. And I see many familiar faces and many encouraging faces that have been a help to me through the years. Uh, The Meisner family have been a part of my growing up years, and I'm very grateful for them. I'm grateful to Andrew and his wife Elaine, of course, Pastor Schrock, and others. We're honored to be with you here today, and we are missionaries to the Tsongas in rural South Africa. We come back every four years or so and we head back in about a week. And we're very thankful that uh, our family has been able to go throughout the United States and encourage people to pray and even to go to the foreign mission field. I arrived as a missionary in 2006 as a single man. I desperately wanted to be married and that that was not God's plan at the time. And I lived in a little shack for a couple years and through a crocodile attack, uh, I met my wife. Uh, The news of that story got back to the ears of a uh, nursing student at Vanderbilt University, and we started communicating. And very early on, I realized, this is the girl I want to marry. So I bought a wedding ring and a plane ticket without having met her, and I flew back to the United States, went down to Nashville, I proposed to her, two weeks after meeting her and then I came back to South Africa and uh, built a house in our village over a span of several months and then I flew back again in May of 2008 and I landed a couple days before our wedding and we were married so we were together for less than three weeks before we were married and people hear that story and shake their head and say would you suggest Such a short engagement, and I say, probably not. Three weeks was a little short. I would recommend at least a month before someone does something like that. The Lord has blessed us with eight children, and we're thankful for the ministry that he's given to us. Who is sufficient for such things? Uh, We are grateful that as clay pots in his hands, that we can be used as vessels to share the gospel of lord jesus christ well the title of my message this morning is the missionary jesus rejected and i'd like to read the first few verses of mark chapter 5 before i open us in prayer but we will be covering mark 5 verses 1 through 20 mark 5 and let me read the first five verses Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would accompany us this morning as we open up this holy book. Who is like unto you, O God, among all gods in this world. There are no gods. There is one God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. You are majestic in holiness and awesome in your wondrous deeds. Blessed be the name of the Lord forever and ever. You take down kings and you set up kings. You give wisdom to the wise and you give knowledge to those who have understanding. And so we ask this morning that you would open our eyes to help us to understand what your word says. We ask that you would convict us and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. In 107 AD, the great man in church history, Polycarp, was martyred. In those days, to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ often meant death. And the ruler of that era said to Polycarp, simply say, Caesar is Lord. Just say those words, Caesar is Lord. Polycarp refused, and he was killed for his faith. He and thousands, tens of thousands, and millions after him for failing to say that Caesar is Lord. In our text this morning, we are going to see a section that brings out the lordship of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord over all. In fact, we're going to see four miracles, and of those four, we're going to dive into just one of them. Before we even look at Mark chapter 5, the previous miracle points to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and that would be the lordship over disaster. Do you see in verse number... 37 of Mark chapter 4, and a great windstorm arose. Here are the disciples on the open sea. Water comes into the boat, and they're terrified. I remember on one occasion visiting the Comorian Islands. They are three little islands off the coast of Tanzania. And I remember looking at a globe and seeing that the distance between those islands was less than a millimeter. But when you get on that boat and you see nothing but open sea all around you, there is terror. And here are the disciples with water coming inside of the boat and Jesus calms the storm to show that he is Lord over disaster. Our passage today in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, shows that he is Lord over disaster demons and then if you continue on and look at the story after that beginning in verse 24 of mark chapter 5 we see that he's lord of disease there is a woman in verse 25 that had some kind of blood disorder and jesus healed her if you go a little bit further and you see the story of Jairus' daughter you see that jesus is lord over death here's the point wherever you are today Facing a particular disaster, you can circle that and put Jesus is Lord over that disaster. Facing demonic oppression, you can circle that and say that Jesus Christ is Lord over that. Facing some kind of disease of your body, Jesus has not promised to heal us, but he has promised that his grace would be sufficient. Jesus is Lord over that disease, and he is Lord over death. And when we take those those Four together, we can narrow into just one of them that we will look at today. Jesus being Lord over the demonic world. And here we're going to see a story of how a man possessed by a demon came to Christ and yet was rejected to be a missionary so that he could share the gospel with those that he knew best. Now, just before we get started with our first point, One announcement, I love children and it's so good to see children in the service this morning. It is so discouraging when I go to churches and I prepare a sermon with those children in mind and then the children flood out of the service and I think I was looking forward to speaking to you. So I have a little challenge for our young people here this morning and we're going to do what we do in our own church In our church, we encourage all of the people, especially the young people, to take notes. And at the end of the service, in our little village of Bukota, we always give a little prize to the one that takes the best notes. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask all the young people, 15 years and younger, to take notes. I'm going to do my best to give it clearly to you so that you can take notes And then write your name on those notes. And at the end of the service, I want you to hand in your notes to, let's say, Mr. Lucas in back. Mr. Lucas will raise his hand, hand him the notes. And the winner, we have a little memento from South Africa as the prize. All right, so here's our first point. We'll just call it this. We'll use three words to package our story this morning. We'll call it this enslavement. Point number one enslavement, this is verses 1 through 14. Beginning in verse number 1, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. Now this sea was notorious for the high winds. And this area was notorious for a dangerous area. There's mountains that surround it. The winds hover over the mountains, crash into the sea, and there are terrible storms. They just finished this terrible storm, and now here comes Jesus to the east side of the sea, and he meets a man. And we find a description of this man because he is demon-possessed. A couple words that describe This demon's influence on this particular man. The first word we'll call destructive. This man possessed by a demon, and this demon carried out destruction on this particular man. Notice in verse number two that he's aggressive. He comes immediately to Jesus, he's isolated. That means he lives among the tombs by himself. He's dirty. He's called an unclean spirit in verse number two. That is, morally, he was an unclean spirit. And he's powerful. That is, no human or no chain could hold him. He was even energetic. He needed little rest. Night and day, he roamed the hills crying out. In fact, he was even a masochist. Because it says in verse 5 that he cut himself with stones. Reminds me of the story of a man named Breitbart. He was born in Poland in 1893. And for many years he was considered the world's strongest man. He traveled in a circus. And he would bend iron bars around his arm. He would pull a wagon load of people with his Teeth. He would take stones and throw them long distances. He even carried a baby elephant one time up a ladder. Breitbart died after he accidentally stabbed himself in the knee with a spike. He was using his bare hands as a hammer to drive 25 millimeter thick nails into. Boards. Blood poisoning came into his body. They had to amputate both of his legs to save him, and soon thereafter, he died. But that was by accident. He stabbed himself by accident. The man, the world's strongest man. Contrast that with the demoniac. Not only was he strong so that no iron shackle could hold him, but he even destroyed himself on purpose. And we're going to find out later that he may have even had 6,000 demons because the name of it was Legion, speaking of 6,000 soldiers. Think of this, that Satan, in order to destroy just one man, was willing to expend 6,000 Of his demons on someone who was inconsequential how much more does satan want to destroy you and i there's some lessons from this already and one is that satan and his demons will do everything they can to destroy the work of god satan tempted eve to sin against God. Satan tempted Jesus to sin against his father. Satan used lies and deception and murder and doubt and guilt and fear and confusion and sickness and envy and pride and slander. He'll do whatever he can to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. Satan will use any tactic to blind people to the truth. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. We see how destructive this demon is. But not only destructive, but here's the good news. His power was limited. That is, even though these demons are powerful... And beyond the strength of the town and the man, Jesus, from the very beginning, is in total control. Starting with verse number 6. Notice that the demons and the man ran and they fall before Jesus immediately. And the demons recognize Jesus as the Son of the Most High. Verse number 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. A reminder that simply knowing that Jesus Christ is the Son of Man and the Son of God does not make you a Christian. Even the demons believe and tremble. In verse number 9, the demons were like students that were asked, answering Jesus' questions. In fact, they even asked for permission from Jesus to go somewhere else rather than be destroyed in the final judgment. Look at verse number nine. and Jesus asked, "What is your name? My name is Legion." don't know if it was 6,000 demons exactly, but certainly a large number of demons oppressing this particular man. For we are many, they said, verse 9. Verse 10, and he begged him. This is amazing. Here are the demons in control. No one can control the demons. But in the face of Jesus Christ, they now become beggars. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned into the sea. Of course, we know that the final destiny for the devil and his angels is the lake of fire, Matthew 25 And so they ask permission. Rather than to go to that place first, the lake of fire, let us at least go to a different host, which would be these pigs. Satan always wants to destroy God's creatures. And if he cannot destroy the creature that is made in the creature's image, which would be this man, then they at least will settle for second best and destroy the creatures that are not made in God's image, which would be the pigs. Now, lessons from this. Satan and his demons have limited power and are under God's control. This is very important in our particular context because the people we minister to are terrified of witchcraft. And it's easy for us to be unbalanced on one side or the other. We know that Satan can do nothing without the permission of God Almighty. We sometimes think of this world as a cosmic battle between God and Satan. And God makes one blow and then Satan comes back with another blow. Not at all. It's not as though Satan is playing chess on one side and God is playing chess on another side. God is playing both sides. Satan is God's pawn. In the book of Job, Satan was like a dog, not daring to move an inch, for the master's eye was always upon him. Demons are limited. They do not know the future as God does. They don't know our thoughts as jesus does but it's easy for us to become unbalanced when it comes to demonic temptation on one side or the other let me give you two extremes number one here would be one extreme all evil and sin is from satan and demons This would be our particular area. Almost everything is blamed on demons, at least where we minister in our village. Even on TV, charismatics will rebuke the spirit of disagreement or the demon of adultery or the spirit of gluttony or greed. In African traditional religion, much is blamed on demons and witchcraft. For example, if someone is hit by a car while walking to work and dies, they say, ah, someone put a hex on me. The demons are behind this. Or if a man has two wives and the children of one are healthy, but the children of the other are sickly, the mother of the sickly will think that most likely witchcraft has been used. Interesting, the most common surname among the Tsongas is Baloi which means witches. That's one extreme. Everything bad in my life is pointing to demons and Satan. But another extreme on the other side could be no evil and no sin is from Satan and demons. We don't even consider the spiritual war that we are in. But we must remember from Scripture that all demonic activity is marked by false religion, or we could say, all false religion is marked by demonic activity. Think about Islam. Think about Jehovah's Witnesses. Think about Mormonism. Think about Catholicism the doctrine of demons. Moses called false gods demons in Deuteronomy 32 where he says the people sacrificed to demons which were no gods, to gods they had never known. I heard a preacher once say that another name for Allah is Satan. That's right. False religion is demonic. Child sacrifice is demonic do we have child sacrifice in our own nation psalm 106 35-37 they mingled with the nations and learned to do as they did they served idols which became a snare to them they sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons abortion clinics are houses of demons bodily self-destruction we could call is demonic activity here of stories in the old testaments where the prophets of baal they cried out and they cut themselves as they worshiped false gods many people that come to christ today will come out of similar demonically oppressive settings just like this And it's important for us to remember the words of Ephesians 6, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So that's our first point. It's this, enslavement. Verses 1 through 13, we find the enslavement of this man but now we have good news we come to point number two we'll call it this emancipation oh that's a big word emancipation just means freedom he's been freed he was enslaved now he's been freed do you see this in verse 14 the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, that is the 6,000, sitting there, clothed, and in his right mind. We find the same story in Luke chapter 8, and we're told in that account that the demons had departed from him. In fact, we're told that he was sitting at the feet of, of Jesus. How do we how do we explain this? How do we explain a man who is demon possessed, cutting himself in isolation, destroying himself and suddenly seated at the feet of Jesus? Well, we can only explain it by the saving power of Jesus Christ. Never has the world seen such power in the history of the world. Mark one twenty what is this? A new teaching and authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Sinner, your sin may be great, but Jesus is greater. Your trials may be hard, but Jesus is mightier. Your despair may be deep, but Jesus' love is deeper. Your scars may be firm, but Jesus' wounds are stronger. Do you remember a story in Mark chapter 12? It says these words. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods Unless he first finds the strong man, then indeed he may plunder his house. What does that mean? South Africa is one of the most dangerous nations in the world. If you tell a story about being robbed, almost any South Africa is going to come back with ten more stories about how they were robbed. I remember on one occasion we went to Johannesburg and you have to remember there's walls around all of the properties. There's razor wire, there's security guards, and we were walking through the neighborhood in the big city and all of a sudden sirens started going off and we heard the story of a woman who had just been burglarized in that area. What they often do is when you go up to your gate, the gate swings open and they'll come in with their car right behind you so you can't back up. You'll drive in your car and then they'll burglarize you. Or sometimes they'll go up to your car and remove the license plate at a particular store. And then you'll drive off without your license plates. Then they'll pull up next to you with the license plate and hold it up to you and say, Ah, you forgot it. You get out and they steal your car. On one particular occasion, this, this lady was tied up in her chair as they stole everything in her house and then they left. So many South Africans have a story like that. That's the idea here in Mark chapter 12. How can you steal the goods until first you tie up the person and then you can steal the goods? And when Jesus says this, Satan is the strong man. And the world of sinners underneath his bondage is the strong man's house. And Jesus Christ, in a sense, has bound Satan in the sense that he has freed people from the bondage of his Powers. And you would think this town would be happy. But instead, we're told that they begged Jesus to leave. Do you see that in verse 17? And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Why is this? One answer money they just lost the big business two thousand pigs now gone gone is their pork business gone is their bacon business and rather than having the presence of jesus and people's lives changed they wanted jesus out so they could have their money back the greatest roadblock That Jesus Christ, in my opinion, the United States, is materialism. It's the love of money. Every society in history that has succumbed to this same mindset has faced self-destruction. If it is between the presence of Christ and conversion, but a loss of income, and we take the income, catastrophe will follow. Don't expect people to rejoice when you come to Christ. Some may, but as in this story, they did not rejoice. In our setting, our church is filled with first-generation Christians. That means their parents are not saved, they're not converted, and they often have to stand alone. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. No one, no other friend so kind as he. No one else could take the sin and darkness from me. Oh, how much he cared for me. Well, we've reached our final point. We'll call it this evangelism. Evangelism. We found in the beginning, enslavement. Here is this demon enslaved. Here is the man enslaved by the demon. Second, We looked at the emancipation, that is, he was removed from this bondage, but the story is not over because the man begs Jesus that he could go with him. In fact, I thought about naming this sermon this morning the story of three beggars because we find three groups of people begging. In verse number 12, do you see that word, the demon's begged Jesus to enter the pigs. In verse number 17, the townspeople begged Jesus to leave. And in verse number 18, the convert begged Jesus to go with him. True Christians saved by grace don't have to beg to be with him. They don't have to be begged to spend time with jesus christ philippians 1 23 my desire is to be with christ which is far better how do we know that this man came to christ because he's been changed and he wants to be in the presence of christ but notice what happens in verse 19 something strange this man wanted to be a missionary He had been changed, he has new clothes, he has a new outlook, he can speak, and now he wants to accompany Jesus Christ and, in a sense, be a missionary. And you would think Jesus would say, of course, quick come with me before you change your mind. In fact, it's very different. Verse 19. And he, that is Jesus, and he did not permit him, but said to him. Now pause there. Why did Jesus not permit the demoniac to do what seems to be a very good thing? Accompanying Jesus on his missionary journeys. Well, Jesus has done this before. In fact, go back a few pages to Mark chapter 1 and verse 44. Sometimes this is referred to as the messianic secret. And the messianic secret is when Jesus urged people, at least at that time, not to reveal to others who he was, the Messiah, because it would have hindered his ministry. So he says, remain quiet, because if you tell others I'm the Messiah, you're going to get miracle seekers and money seekers that are going to ruin my ministry. So don't tell anyone yet. And we find that in Mark 1, verse 44. And he said to him, this is the leper, that was cleansed. See that you say nothing to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer to, for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Did he listen to Jesus? No, he didn't. And look at the problems, verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter actually ruined his ministry at least in a sense now of course jesus is sovereign and he knew this would happen We call that the messianic secret that's one reason why jesus would at times prohibit people from telling others about him but i don't think that's the case here Jesus doesn't say to the demoniac, don't tell others because it's going to hamper my ministry. Jesus' reason was that there were people right at home who needed to hear the gospel. See what he says in verse 19? Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you don't go stay home evangelism now this might be surprising to you as a missionary because the missionaries generally say go 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 and I will say to you yes we need many people to go but I also realize that most of you here today at least adults this is your mission field This is your sphere of influence. This is where you are to pour out your evangelism. And so that's what the man did in verse 20. And he went out and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that just means 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Now, I'd like to close with a few applications from our passage Number one, Jesus seeks to save sinners. Have you ever heard of a seeker-friendly church? We cater to unbelievers in the methods we use in our churches. We, we do fun items that will attract the goats. We don't appeal to the sheep. We want to appeal to the goats, and these are called seeker-sensitive churches. But we must remember from Scripture that no one seeks after God. There is none that seeks after Christ, as Romans 3 tells us. Now, if someone does seek after Christ, it is only because the Holy Spirit is doing a work in his heart. And we see in this story, it was Jesus who went to the demoniac. We love Christ only because he loved us first. One of my favorite characters in church history is Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a great British preacher. And he was actually a medical doctor before he became a preacher. And he wrestled with becoming a pastor until finally he relented. And he went to a little place in Wales... And at this church in Wales, it was dying, it was cold, it was frigid, that is morally and spiritually. And so what they had done is they had built different things to attract the goats in that particular society. And one was they had a drama club. And they built a large wooden stage in order to do drama because they said no one's going to come and listen to preaching. So in comes Martin Lloyd-Jones. And Lloyd-Jones says, I'm going to give the majority of the church service to preaching. And the drama is over. The last week was last week. Never again. And they said, well, what are we supposed to do with this large, beautiful, wooden stage that we built for dramas? And Lloyd-Jones said, heat the church with it. Yeah, that's right. Because it's the preaching of God's word that will change people. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who must do a work in us. The Lord Jesus Christ pursues us. He seeks us. Number two, every Christian should be an evangelist. Whatever excuses right now you have in your seat for not telling your loved ones, your brother, your sister, your co-workers, your neighbors, whatever excuses you have for not doing that, those excuses cannot be greater than what the demoniac could have given. I mean, the demoniac, he was a crazy man for his life. Probably no education No background that would earn the rapport of his hearers and yet immediately when the demoniac comes to Christ he starts telling others. God can use our paltry efforts to lead people to Christ. You say, I don't know how to lead people to Christ. I don't know how to share the gospel. What can I do? What did the demoniac do? He simply did this. Let me tell you what happened to me. Start with your testimony. He can use that For people to come to Christ, the story is told of Charles Spurgeon when he went to the New Metropolitan Tabernacle and he was testing out the acoustics and he simply went behind the pulpit. It was in an empty building, at least he thought. And yet there was a janitor in the back dark room that he didn't know about and Spurgeon was testing the acoustics and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that janitor heard the gospel and he was converted. He can use our efforts to see people come to Christ, and we're going to make mistakes. I can think of all the mistakes that this demoniac must have made. And just to use myself as an example of someone who's made many, many mistakes, not only on the mission field, but even here. You say, well, you're an evangelist, and you're a preacher, and you're a pastor, and you're a missionary. You're good at this. Not necessarily so. Not too long ago, when we first came back to the States, We were staying in Oconomowoc, and I was moving quickly around the front of the house, going inside, and I saw two men, young men, with short sleeve white shirts with their name tags. We all know what that means Mormons. And they yelled across the street and they said, Hello, beautiful day, isn't it? I thought, I know what these guys are doing, and I'm a missionary. I need to talk to these guys. And I said, sure is. And I went inside the house. And after I went inside, I thought, I am so embarrassed. I should have talked to those guys. I should have shared Christ with these guys. I didn't. And I made a determination in my mind. I said, the next time I see them, I'm going to evangelize them. Well, fast forward a couple months. A few days ago, I was jogging through a condom walk. And I'm getting close to the house. And what do I see? The same two young men with their short sleeve white shirts and their name tags. And I said, i got to talk to these guys. And so I ran up to them, and they were kind of startled, and I started evangelizing. You think, oh, this is going to be a great ending of the story. I failed again. Because as I shared the gospel with them, I thought, you know, I don't have much experience sharing the gospel with Mormons. There are no Mormons in Africa. And so as I was talking with them, I realized, oh, they're going to happily say they believe in Jesus, and Jesus died on the cross, and he rose again. And I didn't do a very good job. Mistake number two. So I go back to the house and I immediately studied of how to share the gospel with Mormons. Can that be an example for you that we're going to make mistakes? It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be flawless. We're going to talk to our neighbor or our mother or our father who are not believers, and we're going to make mistakes, but God is going to use that to lead people to Christ, just as He did with the demoniac in Mark chapter 5. Last point before we close home evangelism is a stepping stone for world missions. What does this have to do with missions? You will never be an effective missionary over there until you are an effective evangelist here. Oh, I saw a video. I read a book. I want to be a missionary in China or in Brazil or Uzbekistan. That would be neat. No, the first thing you need to do before going over there is you need to be active sharing Christ with your neighbors and loved ones here. Oh, we need missionaries around the world. Did you know that there's a place called Mangochi? in Malawi did you know that the Yao people in Mangochi there are 2.5 million Yao speaking people in Malawi did you know that 99.5 percent of them are Muslim did you know that millions of them right now are lost and having an eternity in hell unless missionaries go there We don't need just a dozen missionaries. We need scores of missionaries to go to the Mongochi, the Yao in Malawi. But no one will become missionaries there until we are actively evangelizing here. Well, today we learn the story of the missionary that Jesus rejected. He rejected him because he had an important task among his own people right where he lived. What a story of a man enslaved by sin only to be freed by the Savior to tell a lost world of Christ. Let us go and do the same. Let's close in prayer.